The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast. Well, as you know, we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. And today we're going to hear about growing brand awareness and sales with influencer marketing. You can't go to any marketing seminar today and not hear the word influencer marketing. I still believe we're early in influencer marketing and there's plenty of more runway in this activity of marketing. It's the future. It's today. It's uh, completely a pain in the ass and really hard at times. Joining us is Alessandro Bogolari who is the CEO and founder of the Influencer Marketing Factory, which is a global agency creating the most authentic, scalable, and ROI-generated social media influencer campaigns for amazing brands on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. They've worked with the world's most recognizable brands, such as Google, Meta, Unilever, and more. So listen up. Uh, Today, Alessandro and I are going to discuss how brands like Google and Meta leverage influencers. All right, let's jump into this. Here's my conversation with Alessandro Paul Galari, the CEO and founder of the Influencer Marketing Factory. All right, man, I had a little mouthful there. Trouble with my pronunciations, but we're gonna we're gonna jump into this, man. Talk to us about the wild west of influencer marketing. We keep thinking it's gonna get easier, and it doesn't. I'm sure many marketers like me and agencies have seen all the platforms in the world and uh, the promise of scalable influencer marketing. We've seen it, we've heard it, but but you're on the front lines. You've got some giant brands you're working with us you're working with. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you're working with brands and how we all can do it better. Loaded question. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So thank you for having me, first of all. Yeah, I mean, I, I co-founded the Influencer Marketing Factory when it was an interesting moment for influencer marketing. Uh, we had uh, mostly Instagram and YouTube as main platforms. Vine was not a thing anymore for a couple of years already. And so personally, saw an opportunity of something that was interesting, definitely not yet an app for you know brands that was musically, but I saw an opportunity that was like something is missing. We're missing about a new type of reach for influencers and content creators, and that thing was TikTok, right? It was transitioning from musically to TikTok, and we started offering uh, campaigns uh, on that platform to brands such as you know actually companies like Sony Music, Universal Music, Warner Music Group. They wanted to expand uh, their songs uh, and portfolio of artists. Uh, uh, we knew w- ways, right, of promoting them. And we found out at the beginning, again, you know, more than four years ago, that TikTok was the place. So we entered the market of short form videos and mostly for the music industry that we realized that uh, there was actually also potentially interesting for anyone else from beauty brands, uh, clothing, uh, apps, and so on. And now we do offer that for many different verticals. But 
again, it started as an experiment on a new platform before the others. It was uh, definitely a blue ocean and uh, we mastered it. And then here we are now. Man, Vine, I have, uh, there's a term I haven't heard in a long time, but yeah, Vine was the original TikTok (laughs) for sure. An original kind of short video. And man, it seems like that's now all we watch today. I guess maybe let's start a little controversial. I mean, uh, I just saw an article today and I've been saying this for a while that I think we're getting more political pressure in the U.S. for a TikTok ban or a sell with TikTok. Do you have any comments or any thoughts on that? Uh, obviously, with your music background and, and influencer background, I'm, I'm sure you're on the forefront of TikTok. I mean, where do you think TikTok's going and will it be banned in the U.S.? Or I, I think there'll be a facilitated sale is kind of what I've been saying, but I'd be curious your take there. Yeah, it's really difficult to say, to be honest. We saw it during the Trump administration, right? There was a push, no, nothing happened. And this time, to be honest, was the second time. And many of us, we thought, didn't happen the first time. Maybe just, you know, something that is going to go on the news for a week and that's it. That is not the case. They're pushing a bit more. It's actually getting stronger by the day. So interesting to see. I will not get into any political view on this, uh, but I might just say that it gives like work to many people on the company side. So TikTok itself, it gives uh, work to agencies like us. It gives work to millions of content creators that are now living out of that, right? And also TikTok has uh, partnerships, multi-year partnerships with you know the NFL, NBA, and many others. So they're actually giving a lot of like also work to many other partners, right? Around that. It's a big economy. So again, if we remove the political side, it's definitely like a strong move from the US government, in my opinion, to go in something like that, because we're talking about, again, something that is present on a daily basis for many you know, lives in the US, not anymore just kids, but families and professionals that, again, use it for work and not for fun. Where are most marketers screwing up influencer marketing? I mean, you see a lot, obviously your work with with Meta and Google and some of the big tech brands. But what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making in influencer marketing? So there are many things that uh, people do not know about influencer marketing. There are like a lot of things behind the scene. And that is like, for example, looking at data and the demographics of an audience, for example, before getting started. Too many people look at the influencer, their style, their type of videos and so on, their metrics, but they don't look, for example, at the audience of the influencer. Really important, right? If you want to locally activate someone that is based out of LA, but their demographics is uh, in Japan, for example, what's the point to using someone like that? Another big, I would say, mistake, it is not to negotiate properly and not uh, properly write down all the scope of work so that you are on the same page from day one. With that, I mean, media rights, for example, are they included or not? What about, uh, is it a permanent post? Can you post uh, some other competitors in the amount of time, let's say six months? What about this? What about that? So all the different details make a huge difference. And then also negotiation of pricing. It's still a wild west, to be honest. You know, there are so many prices out there, it's difficult. So like an agency, for example, helps in that. We take care of the all negotiation. To be honest, the same people with different uh, like similar metrics in the same industry. Some people can ask you $1,000 and some can ask you $10,000. Similar metrics from the outside, but only professionals can understand what actually is the right type of pricing to pay for type of deliverables from each of these people, you know? So I've noticed a theme with marketers and I think it's come up on the show before. And I think I'm developing a little bit of a biasy where I've been advising a lot of brands. I categorize influencers in like three different categories. You have 
the smaller influencer that would be great for brand ambassador programs. And I, I really encourage to look at a lot of different ways for uh, sourcing brand ambassadors. And I love a lot of agencies like yours for the help with sourcing brand ambassadors at scale. I mean, whether you're harnessing codes for affiliate marketing or you're sending product and services or kind of your ambassador program and you're scaling that up. And there's people that have call it 5,000 to 20,000, 25,000 followers or could go up to even to 100 where you have a nice influencer. Um, they, they have a legit audience. They have good engagement and they're a big fan of your brand already or they probably should be. And then you have what I call like the third group uh, that's the first group. The third group would be like your A-list, like your million dollar plus talent that you're sourcing a big commercial and they have millions of followers and you're leveraging their name and likeness for a campaign on your owned and paid and you're leveraging a little bit of their owned as well. And that's probably a one or two year or three year kind of deal. Um, where I, I see the struggle and where I'm having a hard time advising brands and is kind of what I put in this category two of, you know, you're not a micro, but you're not like an A-list, you know, call it that. 25,000 to like 500,000 kind of mark. And, and all these people are doing it professionally. They're professional content creators and they, they want to get paid for what they're doing and trying to find a value and a price to, to pay them and, and trying to get expectations in line for what's going to produce results for a brand. Do you see the same problem with kind of this mid-tier influencer and trying to put deals together that are realistic for both the content creator and the brand? And do you have any point of view or any coaching for brands out there? I would say that in the past years, uh, this sort of, you know, like the mid uh, range of influencers and content creators, uh, first of all, grew a lot, right? Because especially like nowadays, it's a bit more difficult to, for example, on TikTok, it's more difficult to get to the millions of followers overnight. On YouTube, it's still difficult to create a fan base. It still takes many years. It's stronger, absolutely, than TikTok, but it takes a bit more time. Instagram, we know that you know sometimes the organic reach is not there anymore. So long story short, I would say that that mid-range, it's uh, growing. It's absolutely interesting. But I'm noticing that uh, actually they are the ones that are able to make it a stable income, uh, sometimes even more than, I don't want to say the big one, but uh, I would say that the big one, only maybe a few brands can really afford them. And so they might have a spike, right, in uh, sort of, you know, income, right, coming in for a big project. That doesn't mean that it's going to be every single month. Why is said, for example, the smaller ones and also the mid ones, uh, they are the ones that have a sort of uh, pricing table that can work for different type of brands. Uh, they are more affordable, more accessible. And also what I've been noticing it is that apart from brand deals, some of the mid are finally realizing that they have to open up to new revenue streams. Merchandising, CPM models on, you know, on YouTube, uh, media rights, uh, and so on. So actually they are the ones that even more sometimes than celebrity influencers, they are the ones that really look at that as a profession. Sometimes influencers, like on the celebrity side, they have so many other things, right? They also have maybe TV shows. They have like podcasts that are exclusive for Spotify and so on. So they do care about brand deals, absolutely, but not only. While the mid, they really have to rely a lot, right, for a stable income. And again, it's so it's interesting. I would say that is uh, what we say all the time. It is better to not put all your eggs in one basket, right? Instead of getting only the big ones or maybe an army of only the small ones, try to differentiate a bit more. Each of them, they're going to bring you something different, right? The big ones, usually for brand awareness. The mid, it's a good combination between awareness and also conversions. While the small ones, usually, are really for the micro communities that can bring you 
not only conversions, but also real feedback from people that it can use for your own right uh, improvement of your product. So you need a mix, I would say, all the single time. But yeah, the mid one is growing and it's uh, realizing that they can do more than just you know primarily uh, sponsor third-party products. Again, you can do so much more in the creator economy nowadays. So it's, it's a great opportunity right now. That makes a lot of sense is thinking about these mid-level influencers, professional influencers, and not only just one platform, but obviously their reach across multiple platforms. I heard that from you. That makes a ton of sense. And then different revenue models, whether it's CPM or sponsorship or affiliate or probably a combined mix of all those. And earlier, I loved your points about negotiating different rights and making sure you have the right exclusivity and you're thinking about all these different things. From a budgeting standpoint, I mean, one of the issues that I see with these mid-tier influencers is for me, I'm a, I'm a former media guy. And you know, I know a lot of people come from the media side and we like predictability and, and we like standardization. And whether we're buying connected TV or we're buying traditional media, buying digital media or performance media, we have more standardization of pricing. Could you give any maybe rule of thumb of like, okay, if there's an influencer that is, I'm sure it depends category by category. But do you have any CPM rule of thumbs or do you have any monthly retainer rule of thumb, whether it's a 100,000 person influencer or 500,000? Or could you, you know, maybe educate our audience on what sort of standardization that you've come up with in, in your firm that, that could maybe help us shift through it, at least just even thinking about cost? Because I mean, I know what billboards typically cost. I know what connected TV costs. And the influencer game, to your point, is still very wild west and, and we're trying to standardize it. The reporting is still really difficult, but do you have any rule of thumb that's that's helped some of your brands budget these activities? So, let me tell you this story before we dive in, but it's you know linked to what uh, to my answer. Seven years ago, when I was writing my master thesis about influencer marketing, I came out with a little formula to calculate how much to pay an Instagrammer in the fashion industry in the U.S. That was my thesis. It was like instead of just looking at their touch and feel, their style, whatever, you should look at an ROI, you should look at CPM models, you should look at CPC and so on. And so it was like, if we look at that in any other ways, why shouldn't we do the same also for influencer marketing? So I created a little calculator, an Instagram money calculator, and uh, you were able to put the username and... Uh, say, wait, let me stop here. Say that, say that word again. I, I want to make sure we got that because I, I think that's really important. What, what was the tool? Yeah, it was called Instagram money calculator. Instagram money calculator. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just an easy way you were able to put, uh, you know, the username of a person in and you got uh, the sort of how much to pay for a post. Okay. Again, I'm talking about seven years ago. Was it uh, helpful somehow? Maybe. Was it practical? Like, you know, some sort of like actionable item and, you know, to practice? Like, no. Why? Because unfortunately, at the end of the day, even if you look at in a way where you are using your company to promote, right? Uh, sorry, if you're using an influencer to promote your company, it's not really a B2B. It's still a sort of like, you know, person to person relationship. Because on the other end, you have someone that is maybe like, you know, you know, someone that is a dad of three kids and is doing that for part time. Or maybe it's a content creator doing that full time with a thousand different things to think of. And uh, depending on the type of deal, they can give you a different price. So again, it's still the Wild West. It's really difficult to tell you like what is the what is a sort of rule. It doesn't exist, unfortunately. Again, as I was saying before, you might pay two people that on paper have the same metrics, two different pricing. Why? 
for example, one of the two could be represented by an agent. And he, just because of that, you have to like, you know, mark, have a markup of maybe 20% more. Or maybe one of the two person got on a TV show, for example. That gives you more authority, therefore you can ask more. Or maybe, for example, they are really specific in a niche. And, you know, between niches, there is someone that maybe that is the guru, right, of that niche. And because of the reason, they're going to ask you 10 times more. So again, we do have, for example, in our contracts, a sort of forecast of what to expect based on that industry, on similar influencers that we used in the past. So we tell our companies what to expect and they have that idea. But again, it's based on historical data and historical campaigns. If tomorrow, for example, we start in an industry that we never worked with, we can look at things, of course, we do have our company, uh, company coordinators and uh, you know, account managers that can help us in doing that. But it's not something where you can just go online and again, you know, look, for example, okay, what is the CPM? Everything that you find online, to be honest, all that data, it's really standardized in a way that doesn't really make sense. So it's impossible to answer. But uh, again, there are some tools here and there that you can use. Uh, but the best way for us is mostly just negotiate the most possible. But again, without trying to offend the other person that is in front of you. If they're asking yeah. you $10,000, there might be a reason. You cannot just you know, counter offer with $1,000. They might be a bit pissed you know, because you're not treating them professionally. So again, really difficult. It's quite impossible to give you an answer. But I would say that in time, I would say that in a few years, it's going to standardize a bit more because the market like needs that, the industry needs that. For sure. Is there a few resources that you would also recommend to those marketers? I mean, like I use CPM calculator a bunch. Now there, there used to be just a few. Now there's hundreds of CPM calculators. Is there any influencer CPM calculators out there? I know you mentioned the tool from you know seven years back, but you know I kind of go off into 13% engagement rates. I've heard a lot of different things thrown out there. Is there, I look at a lot of paid social ad CPMs, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, and kind of understand the cost per thousand model there. But is there any tools out there for our brand markers you'd recommend before we get to the next episode? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some uh, platforms where you can uh, look for influencers and uh, they're going to give you like all the different data, right, that you need. And some of them also, they have a sort of uh, internal calculation that can give you an idea of what to pay. And, you know, like some of these are, for example, the big ones for enterprise, like Green, for example, you know, it's one, Maverick is another one. But there are also others like Pipe Auditor, for example, it's another tool. It's not that expensive and it can, and can help you also to understand how many fake followers someone has, for example, on Instagram and TikTok. That can help you also negotiate, right? Uh, the terms of like, you know, the pricing. And then there are like other new ones created for the creator economy that I, I have to check the names, uh, but uh, some of them are basically more on the side of the content creator. So they can go there and uh, review the company and be like, for example, this company paid me that amount for this content and uh, you know, they paid in time five stars. Or some others could be, for example, I was underpaid, they paid like super late, and I do not recommend two stars. And in these ones that are mostly for content creators, you can actually see the pricing. So there is more transparency. So again, if you want to look at the specific price of what happened, I would go more in the creator side of the platforms. If instead you are a brand and you want to look more at overall like you know, demographics, what to expect more or less from an influencer for a campaign. Again, there are all these other platforms. You can easily just Google influencer marketing platforms on Google. There are so many. And again, some are really affordable. Some others are for enterprise. 
But nowadays, you have a lot of information. There is also like Influencer Marketing Hub that is uh, well-known in the industry that gives a lot of information and different tools for free to use. So I would say then it's standardizing a bit more. We're still far away compared to maybe, let's say, you know, Google Ads and Facebook Ads and so on. But it's slowly getting there, I would say so. That's a really helpful. Thank you. I, Hype Monitor was one that stuck out to me. I've heard about that one, especially for fake accounts and things like that. And, and really getting a gauge on how authentic and real an influencer is. I heard a couple of those in there. Again, we'll, we'll put some of these in the show notes. So uh, go back there. But what I want to do is I want to tease this out. I, I know we have a ton more to talk about in influencer world. We're going to end the episode of Rebrand podcast right there, but we're going to come right back with another episode. Uh, big thanks to Alessandro Boligardi, a CEO and founder at the Influencer Marketing Factory. Thanks again for joining us. And tomorrow, in part two of this interview, Alessandro and I are going to discuss influencer versus creator, what brand strategy wins. If you can't wait till our next episode and you want to learn more about Alessandro, like all of our guests, we'll put his uh, LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Alex, E-I-D-O-S, A-L-E-X-E-I-D-O-S. Or visit their company website at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com. Just one note in our show notes I want to tell you about. Again, like I mentioned, if you didn't have a chance to make notes, which who does? You're probably in your car driving. Just head over to rebrandpodcast.com and we'll have summaries and episodes of, of everyone there. And again, you can always find us on uh, social media. I've been telling people it's probably easier to find me. It's just Scott Harkey. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff. My Twitter is a little different. It's SharkyAZ, but you should find me there. Again, if you haven't subscribed yet and uh, you want the, the marketing uh, channel on your feed of things you subscribe to, uh, please subscribe. We're building our marketing community every day. I think we're up over 5,000 now. So uh, be a fan of ours, subscribe. And if you like it, uh, other people you want uh, to get better at marketing, you know, feel free to suggest this uh, gently. But again, that's it for today. Remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.